and we're back with another episode of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Lakers Fast Break, Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and also Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give us that five, like you're waving hi at somebody, five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, support, and do whatever you can to do to basically help our shows, whether it's the Lakers Fast Break, also my good friend's shows, the NBA Draft Junkies, and the Run the Floor podcast, it is truly appreciated. Well, kind of a lighter day now, and that's what pretty much we're going to see going forward with maybe max three games on the slate for each and every day. But today, it was just two, and that's pretty much what we're going to see for a little while as we head into day 12 of the NBA playoffs. And it created, I don't want to say a surprise because my guest and I were kind of leaning on that, I think, for game one. But it was a surprise to some when it concerns Milwaukee and Miami. And then in game six of the Western Conference first round, I know we're still in the first round, OKC and Houston battled it out in a, well, in a game that went down to the wire. And here today to talk to me about both those games is my good friend, you know him as the man behind the NBA Draft Junkies experience. You got to check out what he's doing today at NBADraftJunkies.com. His Run the Floor podcast, and also as well, NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube, and his NBA Draft Junkies podcast as well. What doesn't this man do? It is my good friend. <laughs> it is Rafael Barlow. And Rafael, great to have you back as our continuing coverage of the NBA playoffs continues. Some good games today. Uh, which game do you want to hit first, my friend? We can go with the the game that just ended, the uh-huh. uh, Houston Rockets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Well, let's do that. Let's do that indeed. It was a very close victory for the Oklahoma City Thunder. The clutch performers that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, you know, statistically over the course of the NBA season, although Raphael and basically Raphael has been giving calling them out during the playoffs here, but they did pull out a 104 to 100 victory over the Houston Rockets. Kind of a, a back and forth game. What I want to ask you though is that in the fourth quarter, Houston had managed to go on a 14 to one run in the fourth quarter, and I want to and I want to ask you this: that they looked like they were in control. How did they let OKC back? In, not only to back in the game, but how did they get them to manage to? win the game as well. <laughs> Russell Westbrook had a bad clutch, I don't know, the last two or three minutes. I mean, the air ball, like, I'm sure most people thought it was blocked or deflected. And once we saw the replay, it was just a uh, probably like a 15-foot shot that went 13 feet. And then um, just a crazy turnover at the end. He was out of control. I mean, it, it, but you have to live with that Westbrook. He's always going to be aggressive and, and uh, you know, just kind of put his head down to get to the rim. And that's what he did. He's a little out of control, and he, he threw the ball out of bounds. And at that point, you know, he uh, he was definitely outplayed by Chris Paul. It's it's, uh, it's 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 fun to see in a sense because you know that even though it's not outwardly, those guys really don't like each other. You know, they want to win and because they were traded for each other. Yeah. You know, Chris Paul has a chip on his shoulder. He wants to beat Harden because 
I imagine he feels like James Harden is the reason why he was traded. And, uh, you know, Russ wants to prove that that the Rockets got the better end of the deal. And, I mean, if I'm a Clippers fan, it has to make me sick to my stomach to see this Chris Paul. There were so many times in his Clipper days that they needed this type of clutch performance. And I've been critical of him and, you know, some of the stuff that he's done and, you know, late in games and how he never really took over. He always deferred. And for whatever reason, this clicked this year. And if he can, I mean, if if they can win this series, I think some legacies will be changed in this, in this next game. That's for sure. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it, it's something that we will continue to monitor, especially in Wednesday's game. Uh, I, I'm just very excited to see what's going to go on with that series for the rest of the series. And you know what? It just makes for a good, good series. But yes, I can just see everybody at the Clippers. Mind you, you're right. Upper, upper Clippers management might be a little bit sore at how Chris Paul is able to be going ahead and what to be so effective now in a clutch. But Overall, if you're a Clippers fan, you're getting a couple of extra days rest, and that is certainly not a bad thing if it goes seven games, since it's going seven games. Well, they will play the Lakers next, so. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, that's right. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, Utah and, well, Utah and Denver's going seven games, so there you go. So yeah. they uh, they went out either way. But, yes, if you're a Lakers fan, I don't know if that's a great thing or not because you've seen with the Lakers, they get out of rhythm pretty quickly. Yeah, but they'd have to look at the Houston team and see how OKC is defending them. Yeah. And Houston is struggling like this. I didn't think the series would go seven. I thought Houston would, would win. And they were I guess they're well, I guess they're one and one since Westbrook came back. But yeah, I mean if I'm a Lakers fan or if I'm the Lakers organization, I have to feel pretty confident about my chances of easily beating the winner of this series. And I was kind of surprised early on because I don't know if you were noticing it during the course of the, the early part of the game, Dord picked up three quick three quick fouls and the Houston offense was designed to let him and Terrence Ferguson shoot all they wanted to shoot. And mm-hmm. they were accommodating and Oklahoma City just was shooting terrible uh, with those two shooting from the three-point area. But again, Oklahoma City found a way to veer off of those two and find their own niche. And I was very pleased by Shea Gill just, you know, I, I don't want to say getting a sense of retribution, but looking a lot better this time around. Yeah, he um, he did look better. But let's not forget, Dort hit those two back-to-back threes. Yeah. And those were big shots, even though they were, I mean, what, they were like nine minutes left in the game, ten, yeah. something like that. But it was a confidence builder. I mean, that was a six-point swing, him hitting those threes. And, you know, I, I'm glad that he he shot them confidently. Like, I know Terrence Ferguson. I used to work with him when he was in high school. And he seems like he's totally lost his confidence in his shot. And he's only shooting them because he's wide open. It's like he doesn't want to shoot them. Yeah. But he's he's not looking confident in a shot. And I mean, the numbers, he's been struggling all year. And then Dort has came in and, you know, kind of took his spot in the rotation and took his minutes. And everybody 
knows that Dort is not a good shooter, but for him to have the confidence to let those two fly back to back, he made them. He's he's definitely earned himself a lot of a lot of money. I mean, I think he might have been on a two way, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. he I think you are correct because you know he he is a rookie, undrafted, if I remember correctly. I I think so. Yeah, I don't think he was drafted. Oh, there you go. I mean, and he's playing solid defense for the most part. But again, I thought he was going to be a non-factor because he got picked up those three fouls early. But you're right. He mm-hmm. hit those back-to-back threes, got the team back in the game. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, even though he scored only 10 points, I thought he had a bigger impact on the floor, uh, especially defensively, than he's had in previous games. Because defensively, like you had talked about, they were really singling him out in previous games. Today, not so much. I just think overall, mm-hmm. Oklahoma City slowed down the Houston Rockets, which leads me to my next question. It just seemed to me, the overall game, that Houston could have had this game at any point in time. And it, Oklahoma City worked so hard to whenever they got the lead, but Houston really didn't have to work as hard to get their lead. So I ask you, my friend, it just seems like what's going on with Houston because they, when they're clicking, it just seems to work so well. But when it's not, you can see what happens. But yeah, it just seems like to me that was kind of weird how how Houston would not have to really work that hard. Just, uh, you know, some transition points, a couple threes here, and boom, they're back in the lead. Whereas Oklahoma City, they would have to work hard, two points, two points, two points, two points each and every time. Yeah, it makes sense. Um I still feel like Houston, for the most part, they get good looks. They get open looks. They just, um, you know, don't always make their open threes. And this Thunder clutch lineup, I mean, the numbers are legit. Like, I want to say was this was game six, so maybe game four, Houston could have won that game. I, I specifically remember Jeff Green dropping a pass. So he had a wide open three in a corner, went through his hands. And... They've been hitting the bigger shots, or at least, you know, game four and game six. I think Houston should have won both games, but OKC hit big shots. And then I think with Houston, which is kind of scaring me now, if I were, you know, like a Rockets fan, is late in the game, what is your offense? Because if you give the ball to Harden, he can definitely score, but I think whoever is guarding Westbrook is going to be there in the one foot in the paint and they're going to dare Westbrook to shoot the three. So I think that makes it tougher for Harden to drive while Harden is your, you know, he's your franchise guy. He's your best player. The offense probably could generate a better look if Westbrook has the ball because if Westbrook has the ball and any type of help comes over, then you have guys that can knock down the open shots. But you're still taking the ball out of the hands of James Harden, which we saw today. It looked like they tried to call a play where it was supposed to be Harden instead of screen. Then Westbrook was supposed to hit him with, a, I guess, a pop. But uh, I just thought the Thunder did a good job of denying Harden the ball. And Steven Adams did a good job of closing out the driving lane. So we have game seven. And like I said earlier, legacies will be could possibly change in this. If Chris, if Chris Paul wins this series, then it kind of makes up for, you know, him blowing a 3-1. Well, I shouldn't say him as if he was only on him, but the Clippers blowing a 3-1 lead to Houston. Other series that I felt like he should have stepped up. And then if Houston loses, 
Man, I mean, that means Westbrook hasn't won a playoff series since 2015. And and I think Harden has played well statistically, but he'll definitely be criticized. Maury, D'Antoni, ooh, all, all the all the pressure is on the Houston Rockets in Game 7. But when you hold the Rockets to 100 points, I think you're doing your job defensively. I mean, that's... That's really what it comes down to, to me, is you know that kind of offense, when it struggles to get a hundred points like they did today, uh, something's not right. I, I think I, I just saw a lot of turnovers, lack of focus, uh, like the transition defense by Houston was not there. Uh, it just a lot of little things I saw that added up to an L when it shouldn't have really been an L for Houston today. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the statistics, Harden was efficient. I think Westbrook was efficient. I know they had 12 turnovers combined. Um, Gordon and I know Gordon didn't shoot well, um, and he's been struggling. I mean, he seems like he's just been struggling all season. But, yeah, I mean, if you would have told me Harden shot efficient from the floor, I think Westbrook did too, pull up the stats. And then the Thunder only had, I mean, sorry, the Rockets only had 100 points. It would have been hard for me to to believe that going into the game, but yeah, I, I haven't seen Rockets score 100 points in a while. Like Harden was 11 for 22, I guess he was three of 11 from three, so that means he was making everything inside the paint. Westbrook only had 17, but he was eight of 15 from the floor. Um, yeah, Gordon was three for 12, and then Houston was 15 for 44 from three, so I guess they didn't get up their 53s. That, that they would like to get up. And for the Thunder, they just took care of the ball. Well, I saw that early on where they were going for a lot of twos. I was kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on in that first half, I, I was just surprised that they were – they. I don't know if it was Oklahoma City just, you know, coaxing them into to going into a two-for-two two type game. But I just noticed them going for a lot of twos and – that's out of their rhythm. That's not what they want to do. Like you said, they want 50 to 63s per game. And when they're only shooting 44 or 40 or 35, that's really not what Houston wants to do at this point in time. Right. They want to get up at least 50, 53s a game. Yeah. And they only got up 44. So. Well, we'll see. Ooh, game seven is going to be great. Yeah, game seven is going to be great indeed. You called it, Raphael, and I'm looking forward to it. And that's going to be on Wednesday. We're looking forward to that game. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com, and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Hey, Lakers fans. Looking for the best place to go for up-to-date news, information, original videos, articles, podcasts, opinion pieces, and discussions about the Los Angeles Lakers, well, look no further than Lakerholics.com. With a legion of followers always there talking about everything Lakers and the NBA, there's no better place to go to share your fandom as the team heads toward another championship run. So stop by and be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.com. The other game that is on the schedule for today was a, well, some people are saying it's upset, but for Raphael and I, I think we called game one for us. Is that correct? Or I think I did. Yeah. I, I know you did. Yeah. You called the series for them. Did you call game one? Yeah. 
Oh, there you go. See, I'm just following your lead, man. I I'm just following your lead because you, you know what's up. And 115 to 104, Miami pulled away at the very end. And my gosh, my friend, if Jimmy Butler can play like that or even close to that every single game, plus get the outside shooting that they they're getting, wow, watch out for the Miami Heat. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for the Miami Heat. And speaking of teams being sick, if you're Philly, you have to be sick that Butler's not there. Even, I mean, Minnesota, Chicago, I mean, all these teams had issues or Jimmy had issues there. And, you know, he kind of developed a reputation as, you know, not the easiest guy to play with or work with. But it seems to have worked in Miami. And, man, he outplayed Giannis today. I mean, even though, you know, they're not necessarily matched up against each other head to head, but as far as just superstar to superstar, I mean, he won this battle easily. I think Giannis only had 18 points. 18? Yep. At first, I, I thought it was a, a typo. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, uh, I think, I really believe that Miami, it, it's only game one, and you know, I you know, game one in the Blazers series, I kind of overreacted and so on. But I think that Miami has, I mean, they they got they got Giannis's playbook in their hand. They every time he went to do a move, they were there. I mean, it's not like he has a lot of moves anyway, but they just cut off his water. And, and Milwaukee's offense is all Giannis. You take him out, and they're going to struggle to uh, you know to generate points. So you have to be worried if you're a Bucks fan. And that's what I wanted to ask you. Okay. If you're, you're Budenholzer, you're coaching the Bucks, and you have the defensive player of the year on your team. Mm -hmm. Why are you not putting him in, putting him on Jimmy Butler, at least for a couple reps, just to see how it looks. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, like he said, that's not what the coach wanted. Uh, and, I, I mean, maybe he feels like Giannis is a better help defender. And I think in a sense, even with like Anthony Davis, if he's not guarding the best player and you have someone else guarding the best player and Giannis is, or Davis is on somebody that's not a great offensive player and he's allowed to just roam free, he just changes so much so i don't know if that was the game plan or not but like you said a player two, you know give him a different look it makes sense to me but i mean we're not getting paid the big bucks so no, i guess not but i'm telling you i mean i've heard these past couple of years Jonas is the only man in the nba that can guard you know one through five you know he can guard point guards he can point he can guard centers he can guard forwards anybody on the floor he can guard why is he not guarding Jimmy Butler as Jimmy Butler's going off for 40, as he's continually torching Chris Middleton, as he's going over George Hill? And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, it's, I'm not mad or anything about him. I'm thinking to myself, Jonas is on the floor. Jonas can get in. Jonas has got the quickness. He's got the agility. He's got the length to bother Jimmy Butler. Yet he's not there. And I, I'm just finding it, you know, very, very hard. You know, if I was Frank Vogel, I would even throw Anthony Davis out there for a player, too, even though Anthony Davis is 
a little bit bigger as far as size-wise, so he may not be as fast as Giannis or as athletic, although he's very close to it. So there may, need, may, there may not be that large of a compare, you know, of a distance between those two. But if I have Giannis on my team, I'm at least giving him a couple runs at, at Jimmy Butler. Yeah, unless the game plan was to let um, make sure nobody else does anything. And, I mean, Hero had double figures, but he was 3 of 11 from the floor. Um, Bam was 5 of 12. Crowder was 3 of 8. Uh, Duncan Robinson only had four points. Um, you know, Dragic gave them issues. But, yeah, it was, a lot, it was a lot of Jimmy Butler. So maybe the game plan was to let him beat you and not let the team beat you with a bunch of three-point shooting. So that's just my guess. <laughs> but still, they're shooting 38%, which is a little bit below their average. But my gosh, 38% against the Milwaukee Bucks. You're going to take that almost every time. Even though Milwaukee shot much better from the three-point areas. They made 45%? Dallas, yeah, they made 16. Miami only made 12. And I mean, I, I guess if... I mean, thinking back like before the game, if you say, hey... The Bucks are going to hold Milwaukee, Miami to only twelve three pointers made. You would say, well, that that probably works out in the Bucks' favor defensively. But uh, we didn't anticipate Jimmy Butler scoring. It's 40. free throws. That's probably like his season high too. Yeah, like he hasn't. That's his playoff high. Yeah. That was his playoff high. So mm-hmm. I know it really. It probably is his season high. But it came down to free throws, my friend. That's where the difference was. Where you're talking about, uh, you know, for the. Miami Heat, you're talking about, I think, uh, 11 more free throws made and uh, pretty much on the same number of makes, 26 to 27. So right there is the problem. And I know Giannis Adentacumpo, he was part of that reason missing, what, 8 out of 12 he missed. So right there is a big number for you that you're leaving on the line. It's like those situations for the Lakers when – you know, uh, LeBron get hit, you know, misses a lot of free throws and he goes into a funk like that. You know, he's going to the line a lot and he's missing a lot and he's leaving a lot there left at the, at the line. And you just can't do that and get away with it all the time. Yeah. If, if Milwaukee makes, I mean, they went to the free throw line with just one different, if Milwaukee shoots free throws at the same percentage as Miami, they win. There you go. Pretty much down to it. But yeah, I mean, going forward, this is going to set a sign that even with Miami having only two players really do well in this game, they still managed to pull out the victory. So I ask you, my friend, game two, I'm expecting a Milwaukee charge, you know, ignited, some enthusiasm, some energy from them. So it's going to be really hard to have them not win game two. But overall, what does this do for the confidence for Miami going forward? It has to do a lot. I mean, they already are a confident group. But then again, I think Milwaukee lost a, a first-round game last year, too, if I'm not mistaken. did they? Well, well, they lost Orlando. They lost Orlando this year, but I think they lost another one last year in the first round, or game one. Um, well, remember, so maybe this is... But they were up, what were they up before Toronto came back and beat them? They were up like two, two oh, yeah, two oh, yeah. I'm telling you, my friend, this seems like a little bit different to me. This seems like it wasn't Orlando's. 
victory because Orlando, I don't think anybody out there was predicting Orlando to go ahead and take the series after they won game one. I think this has a different feel and a different vibe to it because I think maybe it's because it's in the second round or maybe it's just a sheer matchup itself. Just To me, it just seems like it's a very different vibe with this victory tonight by the Miami Heat. Yeah, but I also feel like Orlando exposed some weaknesses because Orlando should not have even been competitive with Milwaukee. Orlando was missing Aaron Gordon, who you could arguably say is their best player, second best player. Um, and I mean, and then they were missing their best defensive player. Yeah. So you could say they were missing. I don't know if Isaac is, would have started, but they're missing the two of their better defenders and two of their better players. At the minimum, they're missing two of their top six rotation guys. And they they competed with Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, even like the last game, it, it wasn't as lopsided as you would have thought of a number one seed that was pretty much healthy going against an eighth seed that was minus two of their top six rotation players. So I feel like... Um, they kind of expose Milwaukee a little bit. And then Miami, you know Miami wanted this matchup. You know that they already had a game plan prepared for this matchup as soon as the seeding went out because they probably figured that they were going to get by the Pacers. So the pressure's going to be on Milwaukee next game. It will Even be. Even there's no home crowd or, you know, it's not like if you go down 2-0, at home, then you're in trouble because you got to go on the road uh, the next two. But if I'm Miami, I'm confident. I'm definitely confident that we can beat this team. Well, if you start going down 2-0, then you start hearing those voices that you talked about in the back of your head. Well, maybe my, my you know, if I finish this series off a little earlier, I can go home to my family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you start hearing those whispers in the back of your head. So it's kind of a different feel here, but mm-hmm. you're you're right. It's just something that uh, if they go up to zero, it's really going to be very interesting what Milwaukee needs to do to adjust. And if they don't, then we're going to be talking a lot about the future of the Milwaukee Bucks coming up here, maybe possibly even earlier next week. But I have a feeling this series is going to go a long way. Uh, I still have Miami. I know you still have Miami. So uh, we're looking uh, right now at a long-term series, I think, going forward. Right. But you know what? Surprisingly, I thought that going into the bubble, if a team gets down 2-0 or 3-1, they're going to pack it in and want to go home. That has not been the case. I mean, Denver has crawled back. Um, The Thunder definitely don't look like they want to go home. Even the Blazers. I mean, they were down... 3-1 3-1 without Dame, and they played hard as if, like, we want to stay. So I was totally, totally wrong about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, just the level of competition has been great, as as I've said, like, the past, past few episodes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to all of these second-round matchups and even the, the rest of the first-round matchups in the West because they're still going on. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. 
I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And tomorrow, not only do we have a first round matchup, but we have a second round matchup. So tomorrow we've got Boston and Toronto for game two. That's going to be interesting. We'll definitely take a look at that to see if Boston can go ahead and win two straight up against the Toronto Raptors, which I'm thinking is going to be even. I think Toronto's going to even the series. And then Mm -hmm. in the seventh game, you've got Denver and seven. I think I'm going to go ahead and say Utah is going to run out of gas because they've, they've relied so heavily on Mitchell. So I'm just going to go ahead and say now I think I've got Denver and seven. But what are your thoughts before we head on out? Going into the series, I had Denver winning in seven. For whatever reasons, you know, like you're watching a game and you find your mind or whatever rooting for a team. And that's how I feel about Utah. Like I said, I predicted Denver. But it seems like, you know, my gut is wanting Utah to win. I think that, I think Denver would be a better matchup for the Clippers than Utah. But I, man, I haven't decided who I I mean, I, I say I want Utah to win as far as making a prediction. I don't know. Whoever whoever scores 50 between Murray and Mitchell. <laughs> Seemingly that's the case, but it's going to be an awesome game seven tomorrow night. I think I'm mm-hmm. leaning towards Denver just because of Jokic. I think that's that's the X factor in this whole entire situation. I think there's his support is a little bit better than what Utah can give, but I may be wrong, but we'll have to wait and see. We're just going to enjoy it because it's game seven. Western Conference first round coming up tomorrow, Denver and Utah. Plus, also you have, again, game one, excuse me, game two of the Eastern Conference second round between Boston and Toronto. So we're looking forward to both these games. But before we head on out, my friend, you got to go ahead and give everyone an update on what's going on with your awesome experience known as the NBA Draft Junkies. Same every day. Every day is the same, just adding content. And, um, yeah, I've uh, put up my mock draft 2.0. So I have the lottery version and the second version, uh, which is picks 15 through 30. I start working on a second round soon. And then I had opened it up on my last video for people who, I guess, oppose my picks for a team or they feel like they have a better big board. I opened it up to where they could come on the show as, as a guest and talk about their big board and uh, maybe even like contribute and so I, i've had quite a few emails that i'll i'll look over in the next day or so so we may uh maybe sometime this week but definitely in the near future have different guests 
come on and talk about their big boards. And it's kind of like uh, I'm opening up the floor for uh, different draft junkies to, uh, and I'm giving them a platform to talk about the NBA draft. So that should be fun. And you just never know. I, I may find someone that can really add value to the site and, uh, you know, just kind of make it a real experience. That's uh, a better experience. Yeah, it's got to be a better experience because you already got a great experience already. And if everybody wants to check out what he does, best place to start off with is NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube. You see, again, the videos row by row by row by row. If you're watching on Facebook Live, it is just truly incredible. If you are an NBA Draft fan or an NBA Draft Junkie, there's no better place to go than NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube, NBADraftJunkies.com. And remember, he not only has one podcast, he has two, an NBA Draft Junkies and the Run the Floor podcast. For us right here at Lakers Fast Break on Twitter, he is at Barlow500 and at NBA Draft Junkies on Twitter. You can always find all the good stuff that we do, some of it anyways, at also, of course, Lakerholics.com. Need I digress without telling you about Lakerholics.com, which is the best place to go for everything Lakers, or Laker Tom will just, you know, give me an earful if I don't say everybody, uh, you know, how wonderful Lakerholics.com is. But you can check it out right now, Lakerholics.com. It is truly appreciated as well. Well, my friend, tomorrow we're back at it. Two great games once again. It's been interesting so far. We've got still the first round still to come. We're not going to be able to get out of it until Wednesday at the earliest. Mm -hmm. So that'll be the last game of the first round. And then we'll be able to focus on the second round. We'll finally know all the matchups. But Game 7, Denver and Utah, and Game 2, of Toronto, Boston. I'm looking forward to it, my friend, and I know you are as well. Any last thoughts on the way out? Just looking forward to the games in the next few days, whether it's the, the first-round games that are still in Game 7 or second-round games that are in Games 1 or 2. I, I mean, this is just some good basketball. I know I keep saying it almost every episode, but this has been very good basketball. It's competitive, and I... You know, it's hard to say which team is playing the best. I mean, I guess you can say the Lakers are probably playing the best basketball. Um, maybe Miami. But other than that, everybody has shown that they could possibly make it to the finals or they could possibly lose early in the second round. I mean, this is as open a field as I can remember. And that only makes it great for us NBA fans mm-hmm. indeed. Well, my friend, it's been great talking to you as always. I look forward to our conversation tomorrow where we recap day 13 already in the NBA as far as the NBA playoffs are concerned. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on tomorrow's games right here at the Lakers Fast Break Podcast.